everyone, and welcome to episode 263 of the Chick Boot Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Petri Dish, an interview with Kate Petrie. My name is Alexander Castellanos, and I'm the co-author of the children's Lyme disease book, Miley's Lyme Story. And I'm Richard Johannesson. Bitten by many ticks as a child with little information about Lyme disease and what to do with her rashes, Kate went almost 30 years without being diagnosed. This is why it's so important to introduce educational tools to our children. Without further ado, let's meet Kate Petrie. Hello, Kate Petrie, and welcome to the Tick Boot Camp Podcast. Hi. And, and today, Kate, we uh, have to share with our community that we have a special guest co-host, one of the people that I've been really excited to meet and to work with, and the author of one of my favorite books, Miley's Lyme Story, which I'm holding up. I know folks can't see what I'm holding up, but it's just exciting for me to hold up one of my favorite books. So um, folks, uh, we're really excited to introduce Alex Castellanos as my co-host. So Alex, say hi to the folks. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Rich and Matt, for having me. And Kate, I can't wait to speak with you. So we're really, we're really excited to have both of you um, leaders in this community uh, sharing your stories and sharing your experiences with the folks who are on Lyme disease journey. So, hey, talk to us about first, um, where you're from. I'm from Mauritius, which is in the northeast of Scotland in the United Kingdom. And, uh, yeah. and just, uh, just under, I, I do live in the middle of four fields. So uh, it is a power cut. <laughs> I apologize, but hopefully it'll be all right. So give us a context because uh, at least as a New Yorker and as a, as a citizen of the U.S., I'm not familiar with four fields or and, I, and, and I don't know a whole lot about Scotland. So tell us about Scotland and what it's like to live in Scotland and, and in particular what it's like to live in the community that you live in. Well, it's uh, quite far northeast. So um, for those of you who have a basic knowledge of Scotland, it's between Aberdeen and Inverness. And... Uh, if I would say, if you're drawing an outline, you start at the very top and, uh, and you'd go in down uh, and, and then we're in that little down first ledge on the right-hand side and then it goes back out again and then down towards Edinburgh and the borders. Um, so in the winter, we have very little daylight and in the summer, we have lovely long evenings I like to say sunshine. I mean, that's wishful thinking. <laughs> but, uh, but no, we can have really good summers here. But it can be very blistery, very drich, as in dark and cold. And uh, as you were commentating to me earlier, that we can have four seasons in one day, often sunshine, followed by snow, followed by hail. Um, and uh, yes, I, I live, I grew up on a farming background and I've traveled around, but I've come back to live up here on the farm. And so, yes, it really is between four fields, as they like to tell me when my satellite gives out and I can't get internet, well, you are at the end of the line. I'm actually not that, not like in the moors or up in the mountains. The town is only about four or five minutes away, but uh, yeah, it's 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 building up around me, but, but I still get a lot of deer and wildlife roaming around the house. So, Kate, talk to us about your childhood. You referenced earlier that you grew up on a farm. So talk to us about what it was like to grow up in this rural farming community. Uh, to me, uh, I always say I was incredibly privileged because growing up on the farm, it was the old, it was, a, you know, the 70s. So it was a day when mum would ring a bell at supper time for us to come in. And I had two brothers, uh, one older, one younger, and a younger sister. 
and we'd all go off and do our things in the day and then they'd ring the bell and we'd all come in for mealtime and playing around, uh, going down, and it wasn't far from the coast, we could go swimming in the summer and also, you know, you don't seem to mind the cold so much when you're younger. So to me, growing up was full of fields uh, of, of barley and, and, uh, and wheat and, uh, and dad used to have cows when we were younger and I'd sit in the troughs uh, with the cows in the barn and eat raw turnip, probably getting worms and God knows what else, but you know, you just did it in those days. And I was very lucky, I had a pony. So uh, yeah, we'd go, again, it was mum would say to me and the friends came over to stay, they'd bring their ponies and they'd say, okay, we'll see you later. And we'd just go galloping off. I mean, you couldn't do it now. You wouldn't be allowed to do it now. And the parents would be terrified in case you had to cross roads on your ponies because the traffic's so bad. But in those days, yeah, we'd literally just disappear. So it really was, it was, it was that uh, going wild in the countryside time. We just had fun, packed little picnics, went off, um, foraged ourselves. Uh, I knew enough about sort of mushrooms uh, that my grandmother had told me and I'd go and pick mushrooms and things. And I wasn't really worried about getting poisoned because I knew it was what. So basically we were messing around. We used to call it muck about. We're going muck about. We're going to go and muck about. <laughs> and you really did. You know, you were crawling through the undergrowth and uh, building dens and, you know, tying up the ponies around trees. And yeah, it was it, to me, it was blissful. Yeah. So let's talk about that blissful life that you had in the 70s. You and I are contemporaries. We're both 28 plus some change, uh, and we grew up in the 70s. And, um, and um, I grew up in a, in a suburban community where we spent a lot of time outdoors. Uh, I'm wondering whether or not, um, whether your experience during your childhood in the 70s was like mine, where you had contact, pretty regular contact with ticks. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember there was this uh, friend of mine, Fiona, who'd come and stay with her pony and off we go trotting around. Now, keep in mind, we didn't have sheep on the farm. We had cows. Um, so uh, to my mind, you know, sheep were always infested with ticks. But for some reason, I didn't, didn't think about the cows. And we knew what ticks were. We knew exactly what they were because we'd come back in the evening. And as we got ready for our bath, We'd sit playing a game. How many have you got today? And we were covered in ticks. I mean, that's that was, I just remember one particular summer, and I think it was a little area across from the house where we'd go and hang out with the ponies a lot, and we'd build little junks, and, you know, we'd ride them bareback. And, of course, you know, you're on horses. Oh, there's every kind of wildlife around about, as I say, fallow deer running around all the time. Um, but I just, I didn't. I don't, I don't know why when I was younger, I just had in my mind that, well, we don't have sheep, so it's not so bad. And yet, oh no, look at them, they're all over me. We'd laugh and pull them off. And dad had that thing, of course, being a farmer in those days, put a knob of butter on it and it'll back out, smother it and it'll back out. I've got a lighted cigarette, hold still and we'll burn the back of it and it'll back out, oh, burst. I mean, that was disgust now, now. 30 plus 40 years later or whatever but and that's that's what you did and if the dog had one behind his ear same thing lit cigarette on the back to make it come out or smother it in butter or margarine or whatever you had and yeah basically suffocate the animal make it well, you know which now now we know we wouldn't uh we wouldn't uh 
So now when you were dealing with these ticks as a child and your parents are helping you to deal with these ticks as a child, um, were there any concerns that the ticks could make you sick? I don't, not that I was aware of. I completely, because it, because it was just like, ooh, you don't want one of them in you, but then, you know, you, you didn't want, I don't know, you didn't want spider on you. You didn't want um, to be stung by a wasp. You didn't want, so it, I, I wasn't I wasn't made aware as a kid that there was something that they carried that was bad. It was just that they were nasty and gross because they bit into you, which was just unpleasant. And they looked like horrible, nasty, swollen marbles. Um, you know, it's like, ew, blood-sucking creature. Yuck, pull that out. Uh, and that's really all, all I was aware of when I was little. It's just, uh, but you know, when they were really tiny, it looked like little tiny spiders. Uh, we just thought it was quite amusing and quite funny. And oh my God, we'd sit and pull them out ourselves, just tugging them out. And the heads were probably left in half the time. Ugh, horrible to think about, but yeah, yeah. No, I don't think, no one ever, I, I, I really seriously don't think I heard the word Lyme disease until I was much, much, much older, I think, till I was, yeah. Well, of course, you, you would not have heard about Lyme disease because the bacteria hadn't been discovered until way later in time, right? I mean, it, it wasn't discovered until, until the 80s. So you were being bitten by ticks and you were dealing with ticks prior to the discovery of the bacteria, as was I. Yeah. I, I that was one of our experiences. My, my family's, um, my family's um, experience is a little bit different than yours. Our, we had a janky tick kit uh, in our mudroom where we would have um, Vaseline. We wouldn't use butter, we'd use Vaseline and we put the Vaseline on, on the tick and then we would pull the tick out, but we didn't burn the tick on our person. We were always told the only way you could kill a tick is by burning it. So we would wrap it in, in, in paper and then burn the paper to burn the tick. So it's interesting how, you know, our, our native experiences were similar, but, you know, uh, in many ways different. Right? Yeah. That, was, that, was a, that was a big part of our childhood as well. So um, talk to us about um, what it was like to go through the educational system in Scotland and what kinds of goals were you setting for yourself at this time in your life? When I was nine years old, I was sent to boarding school. It was something that my father had done and so when it came to the children he did the same uh so you had uh, which we call public school um but the public schools are private schools in in the uk so they decided we were already i was already going to a small school that some parents had got together and started up to make a small private school and um and my mother had started a little play group before that. So I, I was totally channeled into the small play group that my mum started into a little private school that the parents had started. There wasn't very many of us. And then the building it was in, they were using it. So we had to move to another building and uh, uh, friends who had a lovely castle said, you can use our garage. So we loved it because it was beside a really cool castle, which is quite exciting. And, um, and it was in this little garage there. And I, I think, gosh, there can't have been more than sort of 20 kids in the whole school, if that, probably about 12. And, you know, one teacher, old fashioned teacher who taught everything and say, now put your um, desk down, it's time for something else. And that was great. And that was that whole running around and just sort of being free. Um, but it was 25 miles away from home and I got really bad car sickness. 
And um, so I started to um, board weekly with friends who live nearby. And I suppose they just said, well, actually, if she's doing that, she may as well go to boarding school. So I went to a boarding school called Abalawa, uh, which is in Bampshire, the next door county, about 18 miles away. And it was um, well known because it was started by a guy called Kurt Han, who had started a school called Gordonston, which was a, a big school here in Mauritius, still going. And uh, it was very outward bound. It was all about uh, learning to uh, go up in the wilds and look after yourself and and uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, the Prince Philip, who, who, who had his memorial service just recently, he, um, he had gone to Gordonston and he had started uh, uh, um, Duke of Edinburgh Awards, which was about kids going exploring and finding things. The whole ethos was go out and there's one teacher that used to take us there and survival, eat crickets. So it was very, yeah, get out there. We were allowed to take ponies and uh, we did a lot of camping and so forth. And uh, yeah, no, that was really fun. You were often with a backpack aged nine or 10. <laughs> no, you wouldn't, again, you wouldn't get away with it now. You'd be sent up into the moorland or out into the fields and they go, well, come and check on you to make sure you're still alive tonight. And sure. off you'd go camping. So you were out and about, but um, I, and, and, and I'm still to this day amazed that kids still do all this, but they still have very little knowledge of ticks because again, rife with them out there. Right well, that's the, so that's the question, Kate. So you, you're going to this, you're going to this elite um, educational program that had this outdoor environmental element to the to the learning and the and the enrichment in that program. Um, were they teaching you about ticks? Were they teaching you how to protect yep. yourself from ticks? Were they teaching you about how to avoid coming in contact with ticks when you're going through this this um, educational program? No, absolutely not. <laughs> mostly it was like you can do it and uh yeah stiff up a lip and cold showers and morning runs and uh yeah and get out there and do what you gotta do or go in a boat but not a lot of that I mean considering all that was going on I have to say you know people think wow you were sound like a rough and tumble person but really not I love ponies and uh, I love going to uh, the pony clubs and doing little competitions and but also at the time, I also loved doing drama. That's right. I, I started early in liking doing drama and plays. And that was what I was really thinking of. I wasn't really a fit. What I didn't know then is what I now know. But um, I also have a little bit of Ellis Dan uh, Danlos syndrome, which um, so, I, you know, there was a lot of falling over and not being able to run and keep up with the with the rest of the class and um, I was even then those days I had a lot of colds and I had a lot of allergies happening even then and uh, which was just annoying I kept going but there was so I knew I wasn't going to be a, a great product of the school to come out to be tough and I couldn't wait to get to my next school which was a convent in Surrey <laughs> okay, so let's pause there for a second, Kate. So let's pause there yeah. for a second uh, and let's talk about, um, so, so you, you had a connective tissue issue um, at that yep. time in your life, and, but you didn't, yep. you didn't learn about that till later. So what impact did the, did the connective tissue issue cause, what, what impact did that have on your ability to do all the things that you were doing as a student in this, um, in this boarding school? Well, uh, I was always a bright kid. I was sort of if I set myself top of the class, I was, I, you know, I was doing very well, but they'd always get at me 
for not being neat and not writing properly. And, um, and I try and say it hurts when I hold the pen that they didn't really believe. And the same with the sports, you know, I was never very good. Drop the ball, the coordination um, wasn't great. So um, it was difficult because I was trying to be what they wanted me to be, you know, and, and be this sporty person. It just wasn't in me because, you know, and even going the camping side, I do remember friends saying, look, we'll take all the equipment, you do this. And they said, here are the eggs, hey? here are the eggs in a bag. You just take the eggs we'll take everything else. So, okay. And yes, I broke them. So uh, they swore at me a lot while we ate shell in our eggs. But it, 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 was, it was frustrating because, you know, you want to get going. And, and, and I remember thinking, oh, but I'm, I'm getting the highest marks. Why are they all so cross with me? Because they can't read my writing. And that was a sort of theme that carried on to this day. But so again, from, I didn't from know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I now understand. It. I understand what they say about EDS. I also understand because again, little things came came up all the time that I think I was born. I was born very uh, very jaundiced. Mum had rhesus negative. She lost a baby after me, so I was not off to a good start. And and I'm just going to pop in there that recently I just found the baby book that my mother had from when uh, I was a kid. And she noted down Kate's first whatever, Kate's first this. And she always said to me, yes, it was so embarrassing. You didn't walk till you were nearly two. And I had to take you to the doctor. And I sat you up and I said, she won't walk. Catherine just won't walk. And then apparently the doctor said, come here. And I stood up and took three steps. And she went, oh, now she's doing it. But but that, and, and they often say with EDS, it's, there's a connection uh, that kids don't tend, you know, one of the things is they don't walk um, till much later. And then the fact that I had chickenpox three times, mumps three times, measles twice, German measles, whooping cough. The German measles, measles and whooping cough seem to be in the same year. Or is that mum's bad entry? I'm not sure. Basically, I just seemed to get things all the time. And I also, I hate to say this, I had worms twice when I was younger and I was mortified because I was the most anal person I know about washing my hands, but I suppose sitting eating raw turnips with the cows <laughs> wasn't great down on the farm. But yeah, I, it just showed that I just got stuff. And I think that's now I know what I know. That was just quite all that sort of being in the school and doing this and just getting issues all the time. It, it, it kind of makes sense. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about it making sense. And I do want to pause here for a second because uh, we've had many, many guests on this podcast who, who have had EDS or Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Uh, and we've often, Matt and I have often debated about what the connection is between EDS and Lyme disease, right? And, and because you're now raising it, I do want to explore with you for a second. Um, and you were a sickly child, so you, you were clearly immunocompromised. Let's talk about the chicken versus the egg. Do you believe that your Lyme disease or that you are vulnerable to Lyme disease because you were immunocompromised and that the EDS is, is a symptom of the immunocompromised um, condition that you had? Or do you believe that all the ticks that you were getting bitten by and the Lyme disease that you were clearly harboring was making you more vulnerable to all of the, the non-EDS because you know EDS is genetic, but all of the other illnesses that you seem to have during your sickly childhood? I have debated this. I have gone back and forward and, and, and just talking to other people and understanding all the different things I got and what led to my final diagnosis. Um, 
I do believe that I was predisposed. I think there's some, because living up here, I have got friends and family that say, we just don't seem to have as many bites and ticks getting on us as they do with you. And so I think there's something that makes it easier for them to pass through with the with, with whole connective tissue thing with the EDS. And I think therefore- Oh, oh. Do you know what I mean? I think there's something that- you know, I was asking a different be. question. Kate, I was asking a different oh, question. Uh, and I hadn't even thought of that. See, you know, like one of the things that Matt has often said to me is that I'm a tick magnet because I get bitten all the time. I mean, if you, if you follow us on Instagram, you'll see every year I seem to be getting get bitten and every year I seem to, you know, have to treat with another doctor. And certainly at least once a year for the last three years, I've been bitten by a tick. But I wasn't thinking about EDS as a vehicle for you being more vulnerable to ticks, which is interesting. Never even thought of that. I was really asking a different question, which is, were you more vulnerable to getting sick from Lyme to become chronically ill because you were immunocompromised? Oh, well, that I'm wondering too. Oh, you know, it again, as you say, it's the chicken and egg thing and they go back and forward. And I think there's gotta be something in it because it wasn't like, although I got sick a lot and, and um, during the whole, what the hell's going on with me, which you, you will see later on, there were so many different things. Everyone has always had this little joke because my surname is Petrie and they always laugh and they go, well, the thing is, Kate, you're just the, <laughs> you're the perfect <laughs> Petri dish for all these bad things to grow in. And your whole system is just like this swampy lack of oxygen <laughs> Petri dish. And so I go, shut up. But I get what they're saying. <laughs> I love there's, that. There's something. <laughs> I know. I'm just like my 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 brothers love to sort of go, you know, say things to um one my younger brother to his little boys, you know, his Auntie Kate. And they go, we don't want to have what Auntie Kate's got in her and all the germs. <laughs> Stay away from Auntie Kate. But uh, yeah, no, I I think I my 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 head my my disgusting bacterial full gut says to me that I I think there's something that makes me predisposed to not being able to fight it. I had a grandmother on one side that lived to a hundred. She, she just died last year. She grew up in a very, uh, in a poor area of, of the East end of London, but you know, the granddad was amazing and um, uh, went to the Navy and did really well. They did amazingly for their lives. But I also think that incredibly poor beginning that she had to have had this amazing life that she had and go through all the things that happened and live to a hundred, you think, wow. And I think, cause some people do turn around to me sometimes and, and, and the private doc that I saw that did all these tests, she, and I remember her saying to me on, on when, when she did the diagnosis, she said, you're always very happy and chatty and jokey when you come in and you're like this bundle of energy. And she said, but I have the results and I know how unwell you are. And people who have, you know, not as bad results or whatever as you can't get out of bed and can't move. So she said, so there's something in that, this one half that's that's fighting. But yes, I think there's this autoimmunally challenged bit. That's the bit that's kind of, you know, if it was Deadwood, if I could cut it out, but you can't survive without it, I would. But I think that's what keeps bringing me down. Um, and I think, yeah, as a kid, I think that, that was, as you said, all the dreams I had, but I remember it as a young girl going to tennis lessons because I thought it'd be something nice for me to have 
and he just said to my parent, you know, can she even hold a knife and fork? Because like, she's like, her, her wrists are just, there's no strength in them. And, uh, and, and it's something that's continued in my life. I fought against it um, always. And then in the end, they're like, yeah, this is not for you. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. Let, let's fast forward. Let's 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 get to the later stages in your life. So you 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 have this passion for the arts. You have this passion that you're trying to develop. Um, you know your your artistic talents. You're this outdoorsy kid who has all of these enriching experiences in the outdoors. Uh, talk to us about you know you how you began your professional life and what types of goals you set for yourself professionally. Uh, well, I had wanted to leave school earlier at um, 16 when I was at the convent and uh, my mum, oh, I suppose quite rightly said, but you're just 16. No, no, no. You can't go to London. You, you, you need to get the, the A-levels, which were the next set of exams. And if I thought about it, I maybe should have gone to, uh, a, uh, to a, a proper university and, and at one point the convent had been setting me up to do Oxbridge either Oxbridge or Cambridge or one of those sort of high-ranking ones but one I the the bite that happened the time when I first got really ill didn't know what was happening to me was when I was about 17 and it so also turned out my friend yeah okay talk about so, how, how that was different you said you you were bitten by takes your entire life all during your childhood, you're getting, okay. you're getting bitten by ticks. Why is, why is the bite at 17 different than all the other bites you suffered? Right, because A, I didn't know it was a tick bite, but I had this rash, this funny shaped rash, and, and it had started uh, uh, on my lower abdomen, above my hip, and uh, on the right side. And I was fascinated because it grew in a big round bullseye rash. Then I just got rashed all over and eczema and oddness and uh, it just went odd. And I always had patches of eczema, but this was just odd all over. And my mum took me to Fintorn, which is this village down the way and it had a, has an alternative community there. And so she's taken me to like the homeopathic doctors. Um, as my dad used to say, arty farty weirdo beardo, ooh, they're slightly strange, but they were, they're an amazing community and they, and they had all the homeopathic when it wasn't, you know, so in, in those days. Um, and they were giving me nettle tea and asked me what, how, you know, am I stressed? And then she took me to the regular doctors who just said, well, you know, it's probably ringworm. And, uh, and gave me various noxious creams to put on the rash. And then I swelled up, like every joint in my body swelled up and I lost my voice for about three weeks. And, oh, it looked like I had mumps again. I was like, oh, for God's sakes, I'm too old for this. And, uh, and then I just started falling asleep. I just fell asleep all the time. And the doctor went, oh, well, she's 17. It's the kissing disease. We can't stop them, you know, and there's said there's nothing much to do but just rest. And um, I was amazed that nobody really said or did anything at school. They just went, oh, Kate's falling asleep from being the one who was sitting at the front and always right there. I just kind of, I gave up. I just slept and mum would take me home. So that's, but by the time I got to the end, I came out with from being the bright kid that the other school had not wanted me to leave because I was the top, top, top echelon kind of in the class. And then suddenly they just let me 
and then at the next school kind of wash away to nothing. And I came out, I want, there was a remark on one of my A-level reports, which I didn't really get. I think I vaguely passed with such a low mark, but it was just upsetting. And they said this could child could be a genius for all we know, but we can't read her writing. How can we mark it? And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> and so I left. But I wasn't worried. I wasn't totally worried. I was disappointed, but not totally worried, because by then I thought I'm going to drama school. So it, it became all about to try and get into drama school because that's what I wanted to do. So, Kate, let me let me ask you to pause there for a second, because I, I think yeah. there's an important piece that we need to unpack here. Right. So you're 17 years old. Um, mm -hmm. you, get, you have a traditional bullseye rash. And that doesn't mean anything to you, right? I mean, at, yes. so for example, if you had the benefit of a book like uh, the my co-host book, uh, Miley's uh, Lime Story, where she actually outlines, and I know our, our, view, our listeners can't see this, she outlines and shows you what a bullseye rash would look like. So if you had the benefit, for example, during your childhood of having a book like uh, Miley's Lime Story, and you had uh, an example like, uh, like Ms. Castellanos has... Uh, built into her book, you would have known or you would have had some information from your childhood experience about what a bullseye rash is and you perhaps you could have had a different experience during your life. Absolutely. And more importantly, if the goddamn doctors had understood, so this would have been 1985-ish. So You'd think, being the northeast of Scotland, but I'll tell you something quite frightening. Even today, it's constant battle. They don't it get it. And, battle, but but, but let's, but Kate, let's 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 pause there for a second because look, one of the reasons really it's really important that we have people like Alex writing the books, like her book she and her daughter have written, is because it empowers people with information, right? So even if the doctor you are treating with in your community didn't have the training or the education to properly treat you because you would have been an empowered patient after reading a book like this, you could have gone out and sought treatment from more competent doctors. You could have done absolutely. your own research and found someone, right? Absolutely. And, the, and, and, and that's the brilliance of it being for a young kid, because you know how kids always look at, look at, you know, they're going to sit when they're playing around and see a funny mark and go, mommy, what's this? You know, which mum might miss because she's in a hurry and she's birthing you and, you and you're gone. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and I think that's really important because it is the youngsters today, as well as, as well as the oldies, as well as the in-betweenies, you know, you, you want to say to all of them, this is what you've got to look out for. And I think, yeah, for little kids, it's like with anything, start with the little kids, because if they know and they're armed, you know, with the right knowledge, Absolutely. They can so, question. Okay, so, let's pause here for a second. I'm going to I'm going to ask Alex, Alex a question, even though it's earlier than I expected. But Alex, how does it make you feel that you've written a book that someone who has been suffering with Lyme disease for a good portion of her entire life believes that had she been able to see your work, that perhaps her life would have been different? How does that make you feel? Wow. So, okay. So I'm glad I'm jumping in right now because, Kate, I have, I mean, my mind is going crazy right now. I'm just thinking... Okay, you went to the natural doctor and you were told that the rash was possibly stress. And then the GP, now you're told that it's ringworm. And I'm just sitting here in my jaw and my mind. And I'm just like, you know, because um, I actually went through something very similar with my daughter and her rash. I mean, she had a very clear bullseye. 
and I was told that I was being very uh, dramatic and being a little overly protective. And I was actually sent away. And it was a very classic bullseye rush. So um, back to like what Rich is saying, you know, just, you know, just to even put it out there. And I know that not every Lyme situation is a clear bullseye rash. It can just be, you know, red. It could just, you know, or maybe you don't, you know, you don't even get a rash, but it's just about, you know, putting it out there and just, um, I'm just in shock. I'm thinking, God, you went from stress to ringworm. And <laughs> this is where, this is where you're at. Um, it's stress to ringworm to kissing too many boys. <laughs> I forgot that one. That was the most important one. <laughs> so, but um, did you, I'm sorry, and, and forgive me if I'm jumping the gun here, but were you ever given any antibiotics other than that cream that you were given for the ringworm or the, no, right? Because we were still not in a Lyme situation. Now I can't quite remember, but I think what got me was apart from, um, bet Nevada is out for animals, uh, some kind of hydrocortisone cream for the eczema um i think and at first because it was fluey they might have um talked about um you know do, can, can she take antibiotics what should they do and i think when he decided that it was um glandular fever which is epstein-barr but they call it glandular, i don't know they call uh -huh. it glandular fever and they, they that's when he said it's a kissing disease and he went sort of thought this was all a manifestation and they just said there's nothing we can do she just needs to rest so at that point, nothing. And uh, okay. I think so let's, get... let's, okay, let's pause that for a second because it sounds to me that the doctor treated you with steroidal cream. Right? And one of the things that we know about steroids is that they're immunosuppressant. So ah. unfortunately, instead of giving you the, the, the antibiotics that a good doctor would have given you or you would have sought had you had the benefit of the information that you would learn, for example, from a book like um, Alex's book, you are actually given something that hurt you because you are now given steroidal cream that, su that suppressed your immune system and caused you to be more likely to have uh, the, the, the chronic illness that you suffered. So let's let's talk about that. How, how did, because the 17 year old bite is very different for you. Talk about how the rest of your, your life, um, going up to the time that you, you got your Lyme disease diagnosis, how did your life change after that bite when you were 17 and you received the incompetent treatment of, of steroidal treatment? So no A-levels, which was what you need to get into university. So I didn't even entertain the thought of doing drama at a university, which in hindsight I should have done because it would have been, you know, I had a thirst to learn. It would have been nice. But anyway, I had no, I got, I got two Ds or something. I didn't bother turning up for biology because I was just tired. Didn't like it. you know I just gave up um but you know and I think I had a rough time there was lots of little things that were getting in trouble and not doing and I think uh because I was just so tired and I think a lot of it was also I wanted them to help me with my auditions at school and they wouldn't because they said you're meant to be concentrating on your exams I was doing um, architecture and English. I just felt there was no help. And I think that was my first real, uh, uh, it, it, it was like a letdown. So your, your school are meant to help you. And from being up till then the clever kid, it was the, 
they did they and I was so upset that no one seemed to notice and I was saying something's going very wrong here and they didn't notice and also I broke my back about then too uh, but they didn't know then I just had a nasty fall on the horse and um that year I was just sort of limping around and started to have to go and see people thing the back because they said oh and you've got scoliosis and you've got so the whole thing and I was feeling bad and I think to this day when people talk about because it's very near me the school and friends come over and go let's go and revisit it and I just get this pit the bottom of my stomach and I can't say because I had lovely friends and it wasn't that bad but I just I think in my subconscious because it is that thing where it's the last time in your life you can give things a go and there's no consequences, if you know what I mean. You, you can try it. your best and do it. And, I, and it really, you know, and I try and say, no, no, I'm not that pathetic. But no, it, it, it has affected me. And hell's bells, I know people that had horrible times and things happened. That was all that happened to me. But obviously, subconsciously, it just upset me. It set me that no notice. And it set me then that they didn't help with what was happening and there was no help. It's just like, oh, well, I went, how can they not even, you know, worry about my, the change in me? But they didn't. <laughs> so so, let, so let, let's build that out now um, because I'd, I'd like to get to the end of your diagnostic journey because I know Alex has a lot of questions she wants to ask you about your treatment. But let's, let's, so how long was it between the time that you had that bite at 17, you had the classic bullseye rash and the time when you were finally diagnosed with Lyme disease? Oh, okay, <laughs> 2017. So we're talking, uh, what did I say it was? Um, 85. And then finally diagnosed through Almond Clinics in Germany, 2017. Okay. So quite, quite so you, you, so you had 30 years, almost 30 years of illness before you were, you were finally diagnosed with Lyme disease. So it's, it's, came and went it, uh, and, and this is what some people say why now well why now and why do you think it's then I said because my brain you know brains do that they work things out and as you get information you start joining up the dots and I'm still joining up dots as I say I only discovered that I broke my back then so, 10 years ago Dexter okay how many different doctors did you see between the classic bullseye rash that you suffered when you were 17 years old and the time that you received your diagnosis in 2017. That's, I can't even begin to tell you, but because we never explored that, it's difficult. It's not like I went, but what is this? But what is this? We just left it because apparently there was nothing wrong and it was just one of those things. And it was the same because I then, will go on to say that uh, the next big problem I had, so lots of problems with getting very run down and then I'd be fine. And then I'd get very run down. Weight, all my life fluctuating, um, British size 10 to a British size 20. I mean, it's a vast change in weight. And, and I would be told uh, uh, you're fat or stop eating, keep a food diary, Chase, just have one on me to show them. And they go, no, this true if this is all you're eating you'll be malnourished or oh I've seen you go out and eat something so it's difficult to say how many doctors because uh, many to different things um, many 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 I that's all like that's the best I can say until until this final phase of right if it isn't 
endometriosis and it isn't Graves' disease because I've had those. Um, now what the hell is it? I've stumbled from that. And then he said, no, I'm better from that. And I've stumbled to that and I'm better from that. And it was, it was 2016, 2017, where I went to this private doctor because I just wasn't getting answers. Uh, when I lived in Spain, I went to various doctors for various things. And I'd be told things like, don't know, but your hormones are all over the place. Uh, and, and, and then bye-bye. So there was no... Okay, no let's, let's, let's talk about that. So, so you know, one of the things that I, I just want to build out here is, although you grew up in a rural community, you spent a uh-huh. fair amount of time in London, so you were yep. in, you were in, you know, one of the biggest cities in the world with some of the top doctors in the world. And you also yep. spent a fair amount of time living in Madrid. So you were also yep. in another major city with some of the top doctors and some of the top hospitals in the world. So you weren't just as gal, you know, dealing with a rural doctor who, uh, who gave you, gave you steroidal cream for a rash. You also treated with some of the top doctors in some of the biggest cities in the world, yes. yet no one connected these migrating symptoms to Lyme disease. No, and, and, and I have to say, when, when, well, I don't know how many doctors, but I can tell you in the early years, um, apart from seeing the back, so the ongoing issue with the lower back and uh, seeing uh, osteopaths, chiropractors, going from one, wherever I, I used to joke about, um, it take you know you know it takes a village for for, for people to grow a child whatever. Uh, for me, I say it takes a goddamn city of people to make me look this average and walk and talk normally. And no joke, uh, you know, whenever I've gone and it helps in the cities because you've got that availability. But um, from learning and uh, 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 finding Pilates or finding Rolfing structural realignment of the body to help. Why have I got Rainers? You know why 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 is uh, Oh, just so many questions of what was going on. The endometriosis. I mean, I didn't know what that was for 20 years. Weirdly, there is a goddamn connection. And through it all, I, I, I went to see knee specialists in my 20s. Something's wrong with my knees. They creak all the time. They're sore. I was doing drama school. And suddenly, you know, they're saying, okay, tap and you, not a good idea. I'm like, but I love tap. Yeah, but you're really, really bad at it. Um, there's so many things I'm saying I just can't make my body do what I want to and now my knees are all swelling up and nobody wanted to do the group massage in drama school on my back because it clicked and made odd sounds and you know and then meanwhile the endometriosis was rearing its head I didn't know what it was I was told well that just happens Um, it was like one side it was always polycystic ovaries I eventually found out guess where it was on the side underneath where the tick, the original tick bite had got me. Um, and it got so bad uh, that when I moved to Spain and again, started seeing different people saying, you know, what's happening here? And they, they're like, well, it's just one of those things. And I went, no, but this is getting ridiculous. And, um, and I went to a clinic in Austria in desperation, the Maya clinic, which uh, does a lot of detoxing and you get a lot of celebs there and they want to lose weight. Um, and I, someone had just said, try this. I said, this is getting ridiculous because the endometriosis had gotten so bad. So as well as my regular, I get flu a lot and have these bouts of just being, I now know fatigue, but I almost refused to admit that it was fatigue. I said, oh, I'm just feeling a bit under the weather. Um, and, and then I realized that there was something more going on. It was connected to, to, 
to um, menstruation, as it were, because it all came down. I'd get any illness. I would get that time of the month. I would get it. And then my period would last, started to last for three weeks. And it was so painful, so sore and so horrific that I, I'd, I'd get a taxi to work, dose up on painkillers, um, possibly get myself sacked because I could just lose all inhibition because I was on painkillers going, rate this script, this is crap. But then suddenly keel over and they'd be having to say, are you all right, should we put your legs up? And go, nope, nope, we won't put the legs up. That's not what's going on here. But it, it was all just, I, it, I was losing control and really difficult because I was by myself. And, and I do hasten to add, I think when you say what effect has this had, you know, I've been broody since I was a teenager and um, forget kids because you can't even have a relationship when you're being ill. And when you're not being ill, you've got to desperately because of the work I did look for work. I get, look, I had a nice time and I had lovely friends, but it's an all or nothing. I'm either mm. rushing around trying to find work because I know there's going to be weeks of the month that I'm laid out flat. And mm. then I know that no matter, you know, they try to give me, every time they've tried to give me the flu jab vaccination, it would give me flu and I'm going, no. And I go, okay, I had a temperature and I was in bed. Then I got bronchitis. Whenever I got things, they lasted forever. And this was all like, what the hell's going on here? And then I'd get through it again and I'd be up and running again and I'd start making headway and I'd be doing auditions and I'd be doing fine. And then I'd do a long stint with kids at school. And I just remember one time being given about antibiotic, five different antibiotics after another because it just wouldn't clear whatever was going on. And then I stopped that and I went, I'm not going to take any more. And I went down very much taking propolis and honey products and okay, trying so to do nice things. Okay, let's pause there for a second because I, I want to take you to the diagnosis. So mm -hmm. you, you finally get diagnosed with Lyme disease in 2017. Yeah. And you said that you were diagnosed through Armin Labs. Um, yeah. What doctor offered you the, the Lyme disease test and why did you go forward finally on the Lyme disease diagnostic path? So just before I went to that clinic um, in Austria, which led to the endometriosis side of things, I had been talking to somebody who said, you really should go and see my private doc in London. She's so good in diagnostic, uh, in diagnostics, um, Dr. Wendy Denning. And she'll, you know, she'll help you. And I just wasn't quite there yet. And I was in Madrid. So I thought maybe, maybe, maybe and didn't. And uh, the queue to moving back to the UK, and when I come back from Madrid, and I found out I'd had Graves' disease. Once I went through the whole Graves' disease thing, um, I was worried because uh, and I, I'd been sort of got better from the feeling of, of Graves' disease, but I'd sort of plummeted the other way, and I was falling asleep all the time. And I sort of said, now what? We've had endometriosis, I've had Graves' disease what's happening and I realized that um, I was falling asleep or standing up doing recordings and I was doing less and less couldn't cope um, and so rang up my friend and said what was the name of that doctor again and maybe maybe I because I'm not having no help here went to see her and she actually you know set aside a good hour <laughs> seemed like an hour and a half and we went through the whole everything and she said right I'm going to do a barrage of tests on you 
And then when I went back to see her, she said, you know, right, Hashimoto's right off the bat. I mean, your bloods and your kill cells are ridiculous and this and that. And, you know, you are not well. And um, and then she was just talking to me and about things. And I can't remember if it was her. I think it might be me. And I said, the one thing that's at the back of my mind, I said, it's just that I had a friend that I knew in Scotland and, uh, you know, about 10 years ago, turns out she had Lyme's disease. And, and just the way they're talking, I've been talking about it. Things have been going off in my brain thinking. And I said, could, could this have anything to do with Lyme? And she said, well, have you been bitten by a tick? And then I laughed and went, right. So I told her a bit about growing up and that time. And she goes, well, let's do it. And she said, funny enough, you're about the third person recently. There seems to be so much of it. I'm going to go and, um, you know, do a little bit of digging about this. But um, really, if you want to get doing this, don't bother doing the NHS. I said, oh, I did the NHS. They just said nothing came up and you're fine. And she said, I'm going to send it to Almond Clinics and then we'll get a better picture. And, 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 it, was, and it was her that, that, that did it. Um, yeah, through talking, but yes. Okay, tell no, us no. about what your reaction was. You, you, so you now you you have you have an illness related to tick bites, which you had many of during your life. You had a significant mm -hmm. tick bite that you remembered from when you were seventeen, and now you're in your later years. Um, at the time, you're in your uh, you're in your late forties or early fifties, and mm -hmm. you finally now have a diagnosis. How did that make you feel that you finally have a diagnosis that ties all of this together? I might have cried a little bit when she told me. Um, then, uh, then it was like a huge relief because a you spend so many so many years believing that you're hypochondriac, believing you're making, because people treat you like that unless they have a label. You know, there's one half of the guys. Why do you want to give yourself a label? And I go because I want to know what I'm fighting. I need to know what it is. So I, it's like having arthritis when they just said, oh, some people's knuckles just get swelly. But when I knew it was, I knew I could do certain things to help it. And the same, so I said, I just needed to know what I was fighting so I could start mentally at attacking it, you know, solving it. And, uh, and so the relief was immense. And I remember after, because I was down in London, she gave me the results and I came back and I just <laughs> sat down and went, Fucking knew it. <laughs> it was it was cathartic because you finally think, you know, I'm not bloody stupid. I bloody knew it. I bloody knew it. And all those people and all that time spent with people going, oh, I do you think you've got it? And you just think, oh, vindicated. Um exactly. And yeah, um, and, it, and it is like a you know, like yeah, Eureka. Yeah. So Kate, let me let me ask you this because um I know you mentioned that you finally got your diagnosis at Armin in Germany, which by the way, I, I'm going to look into this. It, I've never heard of them. So um, who treated you after? I know you said that you, you went through them through a doctor, your, your personal doctor. Did you stay with her? Who treated you or how did you get treatment? So, so she, you know, she's really good at, passing you to people who she thinks can help um that, okay. that's what she was doing so she could do so much but for the particular line and she talked about maybe go and see gemsec but she said but you know 
she said, I know it's all expensive. And she didn't necessarily want me to go careering over to, you know, the States, whatever. So um, she had a lady that um, dealt with um, called Judy Rocha, who, um, oh my God, who does, um, uh, when, you, when you hold things and they hold things up to you, because my brain, um, it, like kinesiology typey stuffy. Yes. Um, in a descriptive way so and 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 went down the natural thing and I went to see her oh just before her I went to the London College of Nutrition because I was going to go and see her but when I got there she had started off her own place so I saw another lady but um they were very proficient because they said they know what to do but it's overwhelming when you get the diagnosis it is it is and you know let this did you get did you get tested for co-infections as well at, at Armin or was this strictly yeah, just yeah. fine okay they do a whole complex and, thing yeah. so like cocksucky which I went I don't know what that is why have I got it and then committing pneumonia and I went no no I'm really worried they were no it's all comes in with the tick and um and oh and your candidas and over you know it's very high and H pylori is very high and yeah oh, wow. so they they start and then my plasma and all this, which is, you sort of sit there and go, okay, what pill does what to zap it? You know, cause that's what you want. Um, so, so that, that, that it's, a, and, and the thing about um, Wendy, she did help me go through with what unexplained things and, you know, the Epstein-Barr, it just showed that I had have it, but wasn't activated, you know, and uh so yeah, so she she gave me things to take and start him off and did the old no gluten, no dairy, um, no so you this, no that. With changing your diet, incorporating that because you know that's that's a game changer right there for anybody that has Lyme and co-infections is definitely going to start with the diet. I know, personally speaking, for my daughter when we're not on the quote unquote Lyme diet, that's when we see a lot of major changes and flares and. Mm -hmm her but um yeah. let's go back to to your treatment so did you do antibiotics or did you just do natural at that point i just did natural for the first oh. for the first uh, year or so um Are you doing and, like uh, doing drops like what what kind of i'm, I'm looking over there was there was a lot the, there was a lot of um, uh, Doctor Klingsheart, uh, the uh, and medicines um, and bits and pieces. I'm just like, uh, and there was a get on the sisters and canners tea and uh, coffee enemas and um, and then there's pinea and cat's claw and uh, blah, 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 all the sort of herby kind of Buddha yeah. herby things. Um, lots of those. And then all the stuff that um, she said that I was needing, like digestive and chlorophyll, and um, we love chlorophyll. And that's yeah, that that whole kind of you know that whole yeah. little even got activated charcoal. I'm just popping them. The yeah. one thing I find confusing, and I and I wonder. I mean, you're there to help your kid, but even when you're an oldie like me, and and I changed this other lady, Judy Rocha, but then and I changed again. That, and, and I remember my, my private doc, Wendy, saying, oh, that it's a bit much for you, is it? And I said, I have to have a crib sheet. I have made myself, and it took me a week to work out this crib sheet, and type, type it and mm -hmm. put it in, all the drops I needed. And I said, in my brain, I can't, 
I find it really difficult. And I'm afraid I'm a bit bad with all this lot. I go, and, you know, forget about taking the time. I'm, I'm sorry. I joke with my friend because my friend does that too. She has a list and it's, you know, and she has it itemized and it very much finds out. We call it an itinerary, like a vacation itinerary for Disney World, but it's, but it's filled with, you know, supplements, antibiotics. Two drops, one, yeah. two drops, three drops here, half an yeah. hour before a meal, then six. Yeah. I can't. And to be honest, even at this age, I mean, you're there to help, 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 um, your kid, but it, even at this age, I can't, it just gets to, I start off really good and then I start forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was that for now. How long do you, did you do this for when you initially got diagnosed and then Dr. Wendy, you know, helped you and put you on, you know, the, the natural supplements, like how long were you on that for? I think I did it for about a year and a bit. Okay. A year or two years. It matched with, at the same time, they did a, a, another lady um, did came over and was doing a herbal thing mm. with a Lyme disease Scotland group. And, and I went to see her as well. So I, I think I started off with her. And then when I got the official thing, went for about six months, went to see Dr. Wendy. I mean, went to see uh, Judy Rocha, who gave me things. The trouble I had was traveling to see people to get diagnosis and the cost of the money and going back and forward. You're tired. You're not working. See a pretty broke. And then if it's just you, which it was, you have this barrage and huge amount of pills to take. And it, it did get, it got too complicated. I said, I need to find a simpler way of doing this. Because if you're by yourself and there's no one to help you, you know, it's, it's, it's hell. And my whole day was about taking a pill. And then, and then they said, don't forget to eat. I just don't have time to make food. I did lose a lot of weight for the the first few years. Also because I'd made all these changes in the diet. Right. Um, Half of me, yeah. And it's like a water flow. Half of me felt really good on it. Okay. But I, I couldn't just make that final bit to feeling really well. It, it made a certain improvement, things like arthritis, because I was leaving out nightshades. And um, and I was beginning to do more. Um, I found a place that did oxygen. Oh. So I'd go and do that. And, and I really liked that, that the oxygen chamber was really good. Unfortunately, it's an hour away. So I drive there for an hour. I do the oxygen and I drive and it was affordable. It's like 12 pounds a session. So brilliant. And then I drive back, but it wiped me out. So it's like with everything, if it's too far away, it then it kind of uh, uh, zaps its beneficiary points. Um, but, uh, but, it, but, it, but definitely the change of diet, that would be my ultimate. As I always say to people, number one, I know it's scary. You can do it and you can cheat in different ways, but you've got to get rid of that sugar and the dairy and the whatever. And, uh, you know, for sure. And, and I stick to it more or less. There's an occasional champagne glass, you know, at Christmas or something. But um, and, oh, yeah, generally. Yeah, no, I, I keep off it. That's- for sure.
But Kate, so you said something right now and it really kind of struck a chord with me. Um, I did not really think about this. You were talking about when you were going to, you know, the oxygen appointments that you were doing and you were by yourself and then having to drive back by yourself and you're alone. Um, did you have friends or family that you could talk to even on the, the drive or? I had... Uh... Oh, I so nearly crashed that car so many times by falling asleep. And it's all little country roads, but I would just have waves of sleep coming over me on the way back. And I'd like, uh-oh. Um, it, it got, the one thing that uh, Dr. Wendy said, she said with the Hashimoto's thing and then with the Lyme thing, she said, what I would recommend is tell people, tell people what's going on. She, can you get your husband to help out? I said, if you can find me a husband, I will tell him to help me, but I don't have one of those. Yeah, and uh, and I do have chickens and two pugs and two cats. Silly me! And I live in the countryside. I get cold. I, I I either have to pay someone to chop my wood, or I have to chop my wood. And as you get more broke, you have to do more, and it just drives you nuts because it's like this. Never, I don't want to give them up, and I keep saying I can't cope with the hens. I can't cope with any murdy dust I want someone to take my hens. And I go no, I want my hens. And then I went through a phase where my bees started stinging me because I thought about venom therapy but I suddenly oh. became really alive them and one summer they just kept made anywhere made a beeline for, her, for me every time even going walking in the wood a bee would come out of nowhere and then I had these things called horse flies and one weekend I had four it, weird things started to happen when I started the treatment my hair it's normally brown gray bits through it um fine and silky and floppy <laughs> huge 80 ringlet curly hair and everyone oh well it's hormones and this is what your hair does and it's going to be like this for the rest of your life well it's growing up now and it's gone back but for three years I had full-on afro and then someone I put in the thing on the on the line group and said has anybody else had this thinking no loads of people went yes my hair went curly and I've never had even a guy said yeah I'm a guy my hair went cut you know it was it was bizarre things bizarre allergies things were, and it, it was all and someone said it was at the antibiotics I said no because I didn't start the antibiotics until um a couple of years later I I uh, no a year later sorry I I tried went down the antibiotic route this was after doing all the um natural things oh, um okay. I, yeah so why, so I why did that to switch over why did you switch over to antibiotics if you well, I'd been talking to Dr. Wendy and we talked about things we did after a, a year or so. I did another almond test. Everyone said, don't do it. It's just money. But I wanted to see where I was at. I said, I've done a good year and a bit. I've changed my diet. Surely I'm getting things under control. So we did another test. And, um, and surprise, it was all still there. And, uh, and then... Someone in my um, Lyme disease Scotland um, group uh, had mentioned that there was, they found a Lyme, because there's so few over here, that there was a Lyme literate doctor in Dublin, Dr. Jack Lambert, who is an ID doctor. And, and he'd um, gone and studied under some people and he was taking on clients and, and went down the sort of uh, uh, antibiotics route. So... I asked her, you know, to get me in on the list and she did. And I got to go and see him. And 
he was, you know, he was very fair. He said, look, it's been so long, Kate. It just might not, it'll be, either it's going to help or it's not. And I knew a few people that had gone with him. I went, yes. And I had a big Herxheimer reaction. And to be honest, I was waiting. I've been waiting for my big Herxheimer reaction. I want there to be a big reaction and something to click. And um, so I, I, I went down the route of taking um, the antibiotics, three different ones. And, okay. uh, Which antibiotics yeah. did, did this ID doctor prescribe you? It was rifampamine, lime cilin, asmosilin, oh my God, my brain, I can't remember. Um, one of the ones, one of the ones they were talking about helps COVID. <laughs> I can't remember, but you know, when they, at the beginning, as, as, as I can't remember what it is. So um, yeah, I took three and people I've heard that some people had, um, were saying they had really bad, they got terrible, um, uh, fungal issues and so on. And candida, I said, I was already hadn't been treating my candida because I had problems with that. I, I just, all I had was after a while, I began to get a slightly sore tummy when I took them. So I was just going carefully, but I did so much um, kefir and um, what's the other one that they like? Kefir and the, one's the, one's the yogurty one and one's the drinking one. Um, How about? Kombucha. The two games, kombucha. <laughs> so I did yeah. loads. My house turned into a kombucha and kefir factory and I was just going, God, oh, I hope this, so I never had a problem at that point with 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 them um, anything. I just took them all, but I never had. And they often say, "Did it help?" And you know, the awful thing is, I don't know if it did. I I didn't feel worse, but I didn't feel better. I just, you know, trundled along. And 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 I and I had spoken to him about stopping it. And we were doing it at the same time with the lovely lady um, Napiers in, 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 near Edinburgh that were doing herbs along, to run alongside it. But it coincided, unfortunately, beginning of 2020 in COVID, my mum was rushed into hospital with um, sepsis and she had a horrific three months and then died. And it was a very, 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 and it still is, traumatic time. And it was all during, COVID, just as COVID was kicking off, so it was all pretty awful because we couldn't see her and she was having a hard time there. And um, and it was all due when we just, I'd come off the pills and I just thought, do I want to continue? And I went, no, I just had that reaction of, no, I, I don't want, I just can't, I don't want to take any pills. And so I stopped everything. And, uh, and then she died and it was all pretty awful. And I knew, and I, I remember my sister-in-law said to me, you know, how are you, you all right? And my way of coping was just get very organized and organize the funeral and organize this and did this and was organizing everything. And I said, what I tend to do is I just go into organizational mode and do a lot of tidying. And I said, and then I will get ill because that's what I've done every time. And, uh, and then a few months later, just the fat fatigue, just wham, just, um, just came straight to me. It's like hitting a wall. I went, oh God, you're back again. And because uh, I'd gotten to a point where I, I, you know, I was functioning and getting things done and it was great. And um, 
curiously enough, I don't know whether I'd had COVID or not. I might have done. I just don't know. It's like trying to explain to somebody, but can't you tell? I went, no, because when you feel like you have flu generally all the time, it's so difficult, unless it was a really bad case of it. But, you know, I'm such a clean eater and I've been doing so much that uh, I didn't expect that I would, if I did get it, that I'd get it terribly. I know there's moments where I had a snuffly nose and I had sore ears or a sore stomach. I wasn't feeling fantastic. That could have been it, wafting in, wafting out as things do. Um, so even now when they say, but did the antibiotics help? It's really difficult to know because I didn't feel any change. But then, you know, when, you, when it's been over 35 years and you're just taking them orally and you have malabsorption, I often say, you know, I, 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 is it? It's, it's like when they continue to say to me, your calcium and, you know, and, and your magnesium and all this, it's all low. And I said, wow, in magnesium, I roll in it, sniff in it, rub it on me. <laughs> How can it? And they, well, malabsorption. On the other hand, with all that work I did, because I got tested again last summer with Armin. And they said, your leaky gut, by the way, it's looking great. <laughs> Unfortunately, the malabsorption still is there. And by the way, you have mold as well now. So I don't know, was that something to do with the antibiotics? Because some people say it makes you more susceptible if you eat it. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, that's a question, isn't it? It's just doing things to... to to make you feel better, like infrared sauna, another of my goodies. Um, it's difficult to tell. Definitely. Well, first and foremost, I mean, I'm really sorry to hear about your mother, especially going on in COVID. And you mentioned that you were not able, you know, to really be there for her and visit. So my sincere condolences right there, because I think if anything, that's probably, um, one of the most gut-wrenching things is when you can't be there, you know, and, and be present. Um, and then just going through everything that what you were going through, you know, personally, and just pulling off from the antibiotics and, and dealing with everything in such a personal, you know, aspect. And um, wow, uh, my heart really goes out to you on that on that I just um I don't know how you did that <laughs> <It's> all- <laughs> yeah. as I say you watch uh, this space and I feel more rotten <laughs> I'll be like you know it, it, it I think with anything you, you you cope don't you when you're already yeah dealing with a chronic thing uh, it, it gets to that point where you just go oh god now what I mean that's it's just one thing but it's like with anything you just have to peel each bit off as it comes and just kind of try and let it's like you're using your brain to say this is gonna do this to me and it's gonna make me feel crappy but I must differentiate it from you know I don't want to make lime the big old monster that's going to consume everything and uh, and because there is there's always isn't it there's always that moment for, for, for those of us who've had it or where you 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 don't want this to be the rest of your life and there is always the panic when you go oh my god they're gonna find me and my cats are gonna be licking their lips and eating my tongue or my body and my pug is just going to go oh 
that's really sad. Anyway, I know I'm cute enough for somebody else to look after me. I'll just go up and see the neighbors because she's lying there dead on the floor. So <laughs> you just, it's like with anything, you go, nah, nah, get out of my brain. You can't afford to, to wallow in that sort yeah. of mire. Because, you know, and, and, and I think again, anybody who's had this kind of chronic illness as well, you realize, as I was saying, when they said you must tell your friends and family to help, I tried to tell them. And because it wasn't coming from the local GP that they knew, the, the, the person in authority that they knew, they, they, they first used to make comments about your quack doctors, your quack doctors. Um, I, and I never understand if someone had told me this was happening to them, they'd found out this, I'd be so supportive and in there. So I, I don't understand this uh, this refusal to acknowledge it and to rather label you a sort of hypochondriac faker. And, and as I always say to them, do you think any of us would choose this one if we were faking being unwell? We'd choose to say it was lying to make up a story of being unwell because you get ridiculed, you get very little help, you know, and certainly from the locals, it was like, no, 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 no. But uh, again, all I can do is say, this is what's happening to me. This is why I'm late. Um, I forget things. I used to be so good at birthdays and getting on time. Can't do any of that. Uh, mm -hmm. Any thoughts I ever had on going back on stage, forget it. I don't even know if I can remember lines. Um, and you know, between my limping arthritic, sometimes it's fine, sometimes it's not ankle. Um, to the weight gain and fluctuation from, you know, I kept saying to them, I, I, I've literally gained weight, same diet, same lifestyle, but I've put on, I'm, I can't do up my, I've had to go and find my fat clothes, you know, and yet, yet I took everything in last year, which really annoys me because now I've got to unpick, but it's just stupid little things. And yeah, you just say, I, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. Um, and it's kind of, yeah, it's just challenging you. But, but yeah, it's that you just have to take the, the small and the big and go slowly. But again, I'm so glad. As I keep saying, I'm so glad you're, you, you found your daughter, you found out about your daughter now when you're there to help her. Because golly jeepers, you know. Yes, it can, it can catch up to them. And then, you know, that's when, that's when you see a change. And, it, and then it's harder to come out from that. But so, Kate, are you, are you on any supplements or vitamins right now? Because I know you mentioned you're not on the antibiotics anymore, correct? No. Came and off then. There are, there are moments when I think about going back on, but yes, you know, get panicky. But I, I would like to try, and I, I'm leaning toward wanting to try, sort of go down a more herby route and, and vitamins and just try and strengthen myself from that at the moment. Um, but, so what, do you, I, uh, what do you mean that you feel that, that you have times that you wanna go back? Is it because you have like reoccurring symptoms or is it just because it's in the back of your head that maybe it's untreated and maybe it'll come up out of nowhere due to stress or diet? Yeah, that's my ongoing occasional tick latching onto me still. I'm like, oh, that's right. I forgot that's know, a little problem. <laughs> have I been reinfected? Should I double dose or is it like double jeopardy? Like, once you've done it with the antibiotics, if another one comes in and reinfected, there's no point. Or should I be? 
so and because you know no one says anything and it's so difficult trying to say to the doctors but if I didn't show up when I've got Lyme's disease on your tests that you do here I'm then I'm still not going to show up because my body's just not forming antibodies to them and it's just welcoming in the squatters and anything else it brings so it, it, I think should I just blast myself Mm-hmm. And then I switched other and I go, lately I've swung around to the, I really, as I did so well with my leaky gut, I want to keep building up that sort of probiotic strengthening side on that. So um, I, I'm taking, I continue to take the chlorophyll and, um, uh, uh, and, and things like that to sort of help. Yeah, I'm all about the uh, uh, detox sort of side of it and I still do coffee enemas uh once weekly or once every two weeks um How do you feel that? I thought well, I'm slightly right. lately lately I was kind of almost doubling the dose and I wasn't feeling anything normally when I do the coffee enema weirdly as because everyone goes boom and I go do you know what if I have headaches or stomach aches it helped clear them I get a sudden mind clarity, mm. not like when you drink coffee and you get jittery and uh, I get energy. I know, and I was worried because lately I hadn't had that because I've been so um, fatigued of late. And then yesterday I need, I didn't get to sleep till <laughs> two o'clock, my fault, because I was pushing through because I knew I had a whole lot of admin and stuff that just built up. I said, I've got to do it. I've got to do it this weekend. And um, so I did a, I did one in the morning, a coffee enema. And, and I went, oh, phew, yeah, I've powered through. And now it's, you know, two o'clock in the morning and I'm still awake, damn it. But I, I was happy with that because I thought they were having no effect. So that, that and I'm on a, more of an up um, generally. Sunshine always helps. So... I think it's good that, and um, I take, uh, I've got stuff, micro dosing um, EBV, it's called for Epstein-Barr. Yes. And the doctor, the doctors, local doctors said, well, you're, they're fine. I don't know why you're taking it. I said, yes, but when they took it in the summer, they said it was reactivated. So then that's good. Maybe it's brought it down. Certainly my glands have all gone down the last couple of months. So I think that has helped. Um, and I take zinc. Oh, also, because I'm the age I am, I have got menopause ro- rolling around. Now, before Christmas, they put me on HRT because they thought if I had the mix-ups, because I always have with um, uh, hormones, um, and, I, and, I, and I reacted badly, I might plummet into really bad fatigue. So if I started HRT to sort of help me carry it through, but it had a horrible effect on me, as it would because everything does. And um, uh, I had the most killer, horrible hot flashes that came every 20 minutes, day and night for three months. And so I went, no, I'm coming off that. And um, I'm now feeling a lot better having been off it. So obviously I've got a body that just doesn't like being tinkered with of anything like that. So I'm feeling a bit better than that, but I take lots of, um, I've got um, nettle, I drink nettle take nettle l-tryptophan i take collagen by the bucket loads because um you know it, it uh is it borrelia that that bunches through um uh 
all that sort of stuff. So trying to keep going out because I'm the age I am. And, and so the L-tryptophan's meant to balance it out and help you sleep with it. Quercetin and nettle, curcumin. I'm just looking over at the side. There's a lot of stuff there. Vitamin C and magnesium always and zinc. Um, calcium, I tend to go low on it. And I used to get really bad tetany for decades. No one told me what that was when your hands hook in and sometimes your feet hook in. You just feel them curling inwards. I don't know if that was to do with the Lyme, but it was all these odd things I got and eventually it told me, yes, and actually it's a lack of calcium, like malabsorption. And they said, look, you're taking this stuff in, but because of the malabsorption, because of Lyme and Co or whatever it was, it's not getting to where it does. So your hands hook in, it's very strange. So um, I take all sort of little supplements there. And then the, the main one I was taking was low-dose naltrexine which um, Dr. Jack Lambert put me on in, um, when I was in position in Dublin. And that really helped. Um, and they found that it helps the autoimmune system and just to um, balance it out. I can't take a very high dose of it. And, and, and actually on, on the group, there's a lot of people who can't do the full, I'm going to take 4.5, but I can only take between 0.5 and 1.5. Um, and you get very vivid and weird dreams. And I've, I've come off it just recently. I, I, I like to sometimes just give myself a break of stuff and then build on because it, it does get to the point where you're shoving so much in, you just right. lose track. And then right. I can't remember, my brain fog, I can't remember why I'm taking it. <laughs> I have to go and look up and go, what was this stopping and helping? Um, so Kate, so, yeah. let me ask you this. So just reflecting on everything that that you've shared that you're that you've taken in the past and that you're currently on just to you know maintain what what are your top three recommendations okay i have an infrared sauna blanket um it it weren't cheap but uh i paid it off in stages and i am so glad i got it um, even with the hot flushes <laughs> at the time. When I was doing hmm? How often are you using your, um, your infrared? Um, I, I try to as much as I can lately because I've been doing other things out here on my building in my garden not, and I've just been rushing around, not so much. But when I first got it when 2018, I think it was, beginning of 2019 beginning of 2019 um nearly every day and certainly i have to add through the whole traumatic time with mum when it just was emotionally mentally and, and physically knackered from driving you know an hour and a half to see her in hospital and back when i could before they shut it down and the whole trauma of it it, it it's the one thing that i'd get into it um and and you sort of pull it it was one where you lie in you put it on your bed and then you pull it over you it's like a heavy sleeping bag you climb into yeah. And it was just, uh, not from the, like the sweating, keeping fit, but it just felt like a warm, comforting hug, as I'm going to say. And it's the only place I just switched off and I'd go to sleep. And I, my animals, I've got one pug and the other cat, well, one cat and one pug who are nuts for it. And I will say if animals are really good judges of what's good for you, and they literally moan unless I let them in and they oh. come and sit on it or in it um 
and uh, but I feel that it's doing a good thing. I feel so relaxed and um, unwindy in it. It's it's worth it smoking gold. So that's number one. Um, the coffee enema sounds weird, but when it works, it's 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 great. And as long as you do the proper thing and drink lots of lovely water afterwards and lots of nice green smoothies. Um, so you don't get sort of depleted and other vitamins, but that that for detoxing and and, and just giving that mental clarity, I like that. And um, if you've got an oxygen place round round you, it doesn't always work for everybody in a hyperbaric chamber. Um, it's it, it's it's a great thing. Um, not too good if it's not far away. So I put that in a bracket. Um, and of course the diet. That doing the whole uh, getting off gluten, getting off dairy. If you've got problems with arthritis, yeah, it's really hard not having chips once a month, as in as in your um, fries. But ours are big and greasy and Scottish and very fattening. Um, potato chips, fries. Um, I love them, but and I love roast potatoes. But do you know what? It's it's weird, I, and I occasionally have a portion of roast potatoes or something. And um, if I have one portion, it's okay. If I take any more than that in a week, I find my all my arthritic joints start to throb. So getting off the nightshades, which is leaving out the tomatoes, the peppers, the aubergines, and the and the potatoes, it, it's a shame because I ate the peppers and tomatoes every day all my life. But it made an amazing difference. The swelling went. I could move my ankle again. I don't limp anymore. Yeah. Um, well, the thumbs went a bit odd Christmas, but there. but yeah, that that's it. That's that's my top tips that I can think of off the top of my head. Thank you, Kate. So let, let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, this journey and the beauty of the journey. Um, what has been beautiful about this journey? What have you learned about yourself and your super? Hmm. Uh, it's it's sometimes it's hard and it depends what day you get me and I go there's nothing beautiful about it I hate it all but I think the other time well I think of the, the 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 times before I knew it was Lyme when I knew when I was struggling it made me come back from Spain because uh in 2009 there was a um uh the money situation was bad everyone was getting becoming bankrupt and and me being a foreigner and working over there I was kind of lost in line and you know you'd go to be paid and it was there and I was thinking about that and then and um my dad died and so just before then I'd twice had to go for laparoscopies and I journeyed home and stayed at home and you know had chatted to dad uh the month before we had a nice time sitting having crumpets and marmite on toast and cups of tea together before I came back and so I feel like you know if I hadn't been ill and there hadn't been issues I wouldn't have got that time with dad just before he died so that that I take what plus sides of it that I can and that's a plus side because you know I wouldn't I wouldn't have had that time with him because I would have been too busy living working Madrid um and and it made me come home and it made me come home to Scotland because I thought at one point about moving to New York. And then I thought to myself, I do not have the energy and uh, to go through that. And I'd seen my sister going through the whole green card issues. I would, can I do that? And I just thought, I can't do that. 
I'm just too tired and too unwell. So instead I went back to Edinburgh, slight difference. And, uh, and then even Edinburgh, which was a lovely city and really nice, but it's about 200 miles from here. And I could feel myself, I knew something was happening. And I thought, and do you know what? I'm just missing seeing family and seeing nephews and nieces. And so I then just took the plunge and went, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go up into that cottage at home. <laughs> I'm going to say, can I have a session in there? And uh, so on that level, that was a, a beauty of it. I came to be very still here. And so for all the awful things that have happened and, and it's still an ongoing journey, um, I got to have, which I actually craved from living in a tiny, tiny little flat in Madrid, I got my animals. I got to have my pugs, my cats and my chickens and my garden, although it drives me crazy because, you know, things keep dying and <laughs> always weeding. But I got that life that I craved for um, from growing up in a farm. I got to come back to, to living in the countryside again and having the creatures. So that, you know, I can't possibly um, fault uh, it there that that was a good thing that happened to me for sure and to appreciate the the, the beauty of, of where I live I sometimes get very moody and say I hate it all but when the sun comes out and the larks are singing and uh, uh, you know I'm sitting walking with with the animals I think actually you know I'm so lucky and very lucky to have been here during Covid because I think I would have gone nuts in Madrid if I'd still been there in a tiny tiny flat and able to leave for months on end so that was that was a good thing um and I think I've always been I think patient of others and understood others but I think maybe as you say with the journey you, you learn to be more empathetic with other people and get when they've got a frightening situation I mean if you'd said to me would you ever be in this position where you know you you don't have any kind of pension because I didn't think I was going to get sick I was going to go on doing my voiceovers under my stairs forever I and mean, what would stop that easy um and uh and so when it has happened to me and so now when I see other people who are in dire straits and struggling you get it I mean it's it's and even I'm still lucky because at least I've got my home for now but I am aware that if situations don't you know things will have to you have to learn to roll with the punches for sure so I, I'm, I'm very appreciative of, of being able to have a home and, and know how lucky I am having that for the moment, you know, and having these creatures and having a lovely garden. And then I think of all this, but you just, you know, you want to just hug everybody who's having a, a, a crap time and say, oh God, I wish I could say it will get better. The thing is, I don't know. But, but I've learned that there are, although I can't always rely on family and friends, there are amazing, there are amazing support groups out there where people have been so kind and generous. And it's usually the ones that are having um, lovely Ali, who I know um, up here. And I, I've never met her in person, but we both have pugs and we, we both have Lime and Co. And she lives not far from me. And she's been one time she found this lady that did um, ozone treatment saunas. And she just said, you, after mum died, she said, you've had a hard time. You know, I want to pay for a session for you, which was just so incredibly kind because she's um, having a really tough time of it and is bedridden. And, you know, people like that just go, my God, that's incredible. You know, when, when there's so many other people that are having a really, really awful time. So 
that's that's the thing you learn that they're just such lovely people you know who who also are having a tough time but they can still do something for others and and you know you see that's that's really inspiring and I only hope one day that I can do the same you know Thank you so much for your time and thank you for speaking to us here at Tick Boot Camp. This is my first time ever co-hosting. So thank you, Kate. I mean, this is exciting. So you're going to forever be in my life now. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, really, I can't wait to read your book. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Kate Petrie. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Kate Petrie, visit her Instagram page at Kate Petrie. Second, if you're interested in a Lyme disease resource for children, please go to the Instagram page for my book, Miley's Lyme Story, or purchase the book at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, or target.com. Third, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Boot Camp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Fourth, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that we have shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash bite to view the blueprint. Fifth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute and leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. Six, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 250 episodes for specific keywords, please visit tickbootcamp.com slash search. You can also subscribe to our email list at tickbootcamp.com slash join. And finally, if you'd like to share feedback with Tick Bootcamp, please use the contact form on our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.